So, two announcements. One, we're not going to have Wednesday night service in July. Now, we'll still have Sunday morning services. I think I said we'll have no services in July. Just Wednesday night, okay? Come on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I don't want to hear the report. Well, Marcus said there were no services. Just no Wednesday night services in July, okay? Um, there also won't be a Wednesday night meal, so we're going to take July off. There will be our youth service uh, throughout the month of July, and we have a youth retreat coming up. Um, I think it's July 17th, 18th, and 19th. It's somewhere around there. If you're interested in that or your children are interested in that, please, um, you can go online, sign up online. Just go to therock.org, and you can find youth retreat. Um, and then our second announcement is we have an all-church workday coming up. Who has heard of our all-church workday? This is a family event. This is going to be a lot of fun. If you haven't signed up, I want to encourage you to either go to the website or go to the app. You can access the sign-up either way. And come and be a part, even if all you can do is sweep and mop. Maybe you can't even sweep and mop. Maybe you need to learn how to sweep. This is a good time for mentoring as well. <laughs> but if you do have skills uh, that... It could be helpful. Maybe you have some carpentry skills. Maybe you have some painting skills. We are just going to uh, kind of all hands on deck work on every part of the church that we can. Uh, we're going to start at 8.30, 8.30 breakfast, and then we'll kind of get started working around 9. We'll have a pizza lunch at noon, so come with your appetites, and then we'll kind of go throughout the, the afternoon till about 3.30, 4 o'clock. So... If you are in for that, raise your hand. If you're in for the all-church work day. Okay, we just took a picture of you through the cameras. And so I know who raised their hand. And you have to go sign up right now. I'm just playing. No, we would love to have you. Um, and we'd love to have a few more sign-ups so we can make that profitable. Here in the sanctuary, we're going to have a new facing on the stage. Uh, there will be some things on this stage that are going to get rearranged. And we're actually going to put in a new lighting system as well. The lighting system will be done before the all-church workday, so so the, the sanctuary will look a little different. I'm excited about that. All right, we are coming to the end of our journey in 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. We've gone from chapter 1, and now we're beginning chapter 15. And this is one of my favorite chapters in the Word of God. Now, if you're like me, you're allowed about 100 favorite chapters in the Word of God, Okay. And about 500 verses, okay? But this chapter, it, you talk about living hope. You talk about Paul reminding the Corinthians of the gospel he preached. And then he just takes it from the, from the death of Christ to the resurrection of Christ. And then what that means for the believer. Because Christ has been raised, our inheritance in the resurrection. And then it, it, in about four verses in the middle of this chapter... The entire like plan of God from Jesus' ascension to the new heavens and the new earth are described in about four verses, and it's just powerful. And then Paul goes into what we can expect with our resurrected body uh, at the end of the chapter. And then he says, and then he goes into the famous verses of death, oh death, where is your sting? 
meaning that Jesus has taken away the sting of, sting of death and we are going to live and rule and reign with him forever. So if you need hope and if you need to put your life and perspective to eternity, this chapter is a good chapter to run to. So are you guys like really excited now? All right. That was weak. Are you guys really excited now? We're excited. 1 Corinthians 15. I remember finding 1 Corinthians 15. It was always confusing to me growing up, you know, kind of doing your daily Bible reading and you get to 1 Corinthians 15 and you hear about, you know, immortality swallowing up death and you'd hear about a seed being planted and coming up resurrected. And, and then I remember in my 20s, this chapter just came alive to me. And I've gone back to this place time and time again. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow, follow in your own Bible from, uh, we're gonna, from 1 Corinthians 15. Just We're going to go verse by verse throughout it. I'm not going to have verse by verse on the screen. And then some of the other verses that we're going to reference, I'm going to bring in on the screen. So uh, again, my terrible joke, if you're a phony Christian, get out your phone and use, the, use your Bible app. If you have like your written, if you have the, your printed word of God, open to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for the, for the precious revelation that is in this chapter. I thank you for Paul's revelation as he was writing this to the Corinthians and you breathed on it. You put this in your word. You put this in the Bible. We thank you for 1 Corinthians 15. We ask you, God, that you would give us living understanding tonight. Lord, even these phrases that might be familiar to, to some of us, Lord, that they would come alive once again. Holy Spirit, as I speak, that you would go beyond what mere words could do, and you would enlighten the eyes of our heart. We ask you for enlightened hearts, and even what we prayed before, that we would know the hope to which you have called us. We thank you for this living hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. It says in verse 1, it says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So here... Verses 1 and 2, let's, let's put up the, this first slide. I'm calling this the 1 Corinthians 15 gospel progression. I think there's other places you can understand the, the, how we receive the word of God, how we, we re- mature in the word of God. But Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers, of what I preach to you. First, the gospel is preached. And we are in a season where we are... The Lord is commissioning us and calling us to preach the gospel to our community. Now, that gospel can be preached with a smile on your face. That gospel doesn't have to be preached with a preacher standing up on stage with a Bible. That gospel can be preached at a coffee shop with your friend. That gospel can be preached in a conversation to your neighbor. It can be preached in many different places, but the gospel must be preached. Paul says, I preached it, and then the Corinthians received it. It actually was sown in their heart, and it was sown in good soil. And Paul's kind of addressing the Corinthians in this place of, you know, they're, they're, there's some weeds in the church that are trying to come up and choke out the fruitfulness of the seed, but they have received it. 
And then he says that they stand in the gospel. We, we actually stand upon the word of God and in that good news. I think of Ephesians 6 where Paul says, having done all to stand, we continue to what? Stand. And we stand. And we stand. In Ephesians 2, we walk in this faith. But we actually put, put um, real effort in remaining and obeying the gospel and Jesus' teachings. And then it says that we're being saved by this gospel. Okay? And I just put being saved. Paul puts a little caveat. If we hold fast or if we keep on believing and obeying, we will experience a manifestation of our salvation that we haven't experienced yet. And that's called the resurrection. Amen? Now, we are being sanctified. How many of you in this room, you're perfectly like Jesus? I mean, you have not spoken out in anger once this week. You have not had a... (laughs) There you go. JR got it. (laughs) Yvonne said, no, he didn't. I'm just playing. She said, we all know better. You haven't had one thought that wasn't... that was outside the boundary of Christ. No, we are all in the process of being sanctified. And we grow in our sanctification. That's the wonderful uh, uh, aspect of our faith is that we don't stay stagnant. It's that 2 Corinthians 3. We are looking to Jesus, and Paul says, and we're being transformed from one state of glory to another state of glory. He's talking about the inward transformation of the believer as we continue to focus on Jesus, remain in prayer, remain in the word, remain in obedience, we're being changed. And we all have different experiences of that. But how many of you can raise your hand and says, I have experienced that being transformed from glory to glory. You were at a place of maturity when you accepted the Lord and you were just a baby, but you grew in the word of God and that milk became meat and your obedience that was weak at one time began to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And Paul is saying If we stand in the gospel, that it will cause us to be saved, and we are being saved, and that's where he's going to go. So, verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, I think it's interesting because Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, and then it said he went into the deserts of Arabia, and he received revelation from Jesus. And so this, what Paul received, I mean, I do think it was from other teachings of believers. He spent some time with the apostles in, uh, in Jerusalem. But I think this was received through the revelation of the Spirit, through the Scriptures. And Paul says that Christ died for our sins in according to in accordance with the scriptures. So this was the first thing that Paul preached. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the word of God. Let's put up Isaiah 53, 5. I love this because this is what Paul would have preached. This was the scriptures that he had, the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, and he was finding the death of Jesus for our sins in the scriptures. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. 
and by his stripes we are healed. So in, in Christ's death and in his wounds, our transgressions and our iniquities were taken away. One of my favorite verses of this is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21. Let's go there. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been hitting that a lot at the rock. That's been a word that the Lord has given us, and we've just kind of like, we found ourselves going back to this theme that we are ambassadors of Christ, and we're taking ground for Christ in the earth. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, here's the part that he died for our sins. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So for our sake, that is just crazy to me. That the spotless lamb, that him who knew no sin, what does it say? It said he became sin. The Lord made him to be sin so that we might have the benefit of that and we might become the righteousness of God. How many of you are very grateful for that? I'm very grateful for that. It goes on. Paul says that he was buried in 1 Corinthians 15. This is verse 4. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let's go to the next slide. Isaiah 53 talks about that burying again. It says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. I think it's important to realize Jesus was dead and he was in the ground. I mean, John 19 goes into it. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, these two prominent men, Nicodemus was one of the great teachers in Israel. I love to see the progression of Nicodemus in the book of John. In chapter 3, he comes as the kind of like the inquisitor. He's questioning Jesus. He's not understanding. In chapter, I think, around 7, he starts to stand up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin. And they say, they kind of mock him for this. I forget the exact phrase, but are you also a Galilean? Don't you know that no prophet comes from Nazareth? Something like that around John 7. That's Nicodemus kind of like standing up for Jesus kind of for the first time. And then you see this teacher of the law, and he's burying Jesus at the end. He's just kind of putting it all out there, and I'm going to take this man off the cross, and I'm going to bury him. And Joseph of Arimathea provides the grave. And Jesus was in the ground three days and three nights, but he was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. Amen? He was raised. Oof, let's go to Acts 2. We're going to read a portion of Acts 2. I love this portion of Peter's sermon. Again, I'm kind of reading these because I want us to put this in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with the Old Testament. Jesus was, died for our sins, was buried, and was raised again. So Peter, in preaching at Pentecost said in verse 25, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. Now that's Peter saying David was speaking of Jesus. So I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let, my, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on, Brothers, I may say to you that with confidence, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Next slide. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. Say hallelujah. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So David, so Peter says that David is speaking of Jesus and David saying that his seed, the person that was going to come from him was not going to see corruption and was not going to see decay and that God has raised him from the dead. I also think of the verse that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. They're saying, hey, we want you to perform a sign to testify that you are who you say you are. And he says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. This is in the book of Matthew. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And I, just as Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights, I am going to be in the earth three days and three nights. And the idea is that I'm going to rise from the dead, just as Jonah came out of the fish back to life. So after this, Paul says Jesus, was, Jesus died for us, for our sins. He was buried. He was raised in accordance with the scriptures. He goes into the eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus. Now, eyewitness evidence is some of the best evidence you can take into a courtroom. Any lawyers in here or any... Anybody that has experience with this? Good. So if I say anything that you don't, that, that's not true, you can't refute it? I'm just kidding. You guys have probably seen a lot, enough uh, episodes of Law and Order that you could, uh, you could, uh, <laughs> you would know some of the stuff. No, but eyewitness evidence is some of the best evidence you can bring into a court. And if two or three of the eyewitnesses actually have an, a, the exact same story, the lawyers and the judge begin to think uh, that they're colluding with one another, that they have kind of gotten their stories together and are trying to tell the same story and are trying to lie. Some of the, some of the uh, well, I, what, what I was thinking with this and what I was talking and, and, and looking at the law process is that when judges and lawyers see that, they go, oh, we think these people are lying. But when someone gives I testimony and the main pillars of what they're saying are the truth, but they all kind of saw it a little bit differently, then they go, oh, they're probably telling the truth. And that's what we get in the Synoptic Gospels. That's what we get in the book of John. We have the apostles, and they're looking at the events of Jesus. They're looking at the teachings of Jesus, and they're saying, oh, he said it this way, or he did 
this thing. And all the pillars are true, but some of the perspective is a little bit different. And a lawyer and a judge would actually go, oh, no, that's probably correct eyewitness material. So we, we actually have eyewitness evidence, guys, of the resurrection. Did you know in the New Testament or in the, in the Gospels, there are 12 appearings of Christ after he was raised from the dead? Twelve. If you want my notes after this, I have it in my notes, all 12. I don't have time to go into it. But there are 12 times where it's recorded, written down, that Jesus appeared to his apostles and was with his apostles. And I think there are probably even more than that. Acts chapter 1 says that Jesus, he, he dwelled with them or he lived with them. And in this, he taught them. I forget the exact phrase, but there's that idea of like he was staying with them. He's probably sleeping with them and waking up with them in the resurrection. I don't know if you have to wake up in a resurrected body. Maybe you don't have to sleep. That'd be kind of nice. Some people say, no, I like sleep. <laughs> that wouldn't be nice. But Paul begins to go into it. He says in verse 5, he says, he appeared to Cephas. This is recorded in Luke 24. I won't, we don't have to go into that scripture. But can you imagine? Jesus had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Peter. Now, Peter had just denied Jesus. I wonder what that one-on-one -on -one meeting was like. Now, I think it probably was encouraging Peter. Peter probably got a little discouraged again, and then Jesus had to come back to him in John 21 and kind of restore him again in front of his brothers. I don't know how it all worked, but Jesus saw Peter, and he knew he had denied him, and he knew he probably needed strength, and he gives a one-on-one -on -one meeting to Peter. How many of you would like a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the resurrected Jesus? Well, you're going to have it. You're going to have it. And then he says, he appeared to the 12. We're still in verse 5. I think of the road to Emmaus and the two that were on the road. It says their hearts were burning within them, and they run back to Jerusalem. And they say, they actually say, he's appeared to Peter as they're describing his appearance to, with them. And then Jesus just shows up in their midst. I just think Jesus has a sense of humor. He's like, I'm going to wait till they're all together. I'm going to wait till they're all excited. And then he just says, hey, boys, how you doing? And he shows up in their midst. He says, then, and this is crazy to me in verse 6. He says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then Paul says, most of these brothers at that time were still alive. He says, most of these brothers are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, the detail of this encounter isn't recorded in the Gospels. I wish it was. I mean, 500 people seeing Jesus at one time, that's pretty amazing, right? The two places I think it, it might be are uh, uh, Matthew 28, 10, and Matthew 28, 16, and 17. It says, Mary, Mary encountered Jesus, and he tells her to tell the brothers to go to Galilee. And then he talks about meeting with the eleven on the mountain in Galilee. This is before his ascension. He actually comes back to Jerusalem and ascends to his father at uh, uh, the Mount of Olives near Bethany in Jerusalem. So they're in Galilee, and this might have been in that mountaintop experience with his disciples that he had in Galilee. He might have appeared to to them there. We don't know where he appeared, but he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Then it says this, it goes on, 
Verse 7, he says, then he appeared to James. Now, this is Jesus' brother. This is Jesus' brother that in John 7, it says that Jesus' brothers, I had the scripture written down here. It says, his brother said to him, leave here and go to, Ju- to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, you think his brothers are kind of encouraging him, like, no, Jesus, go do this. But it says his brother said this because not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus had half-brothers, okay? Jesus wasn't of Joseph. He was of God and Mary. So he had half-brothers that came from Mary. And it says his half-brothers were not believing in him. And then Jesus appears to his half-brother, James. Just think of the history James has had with his older half-brother, Jesus. Think of the years of growing up and the history. What was that meeting like when he was meeting with James? Now, this is the James that writes the book of James in our Bible. This is the James that becomes pretty much the main pastor of the church in Jerusalem. The legend of James is they would call him Camel Knees. That was his, his nickname because he spent so much time in the place of prayer that his knees had these calluses on them. That's just a little bit of church history for you. We don't know if that's really true. But I think James was totally transformed by this meeting with his resurrected half-brother, Jesus Christ. I mean, could you imagine that? So kind of Jesus. How many of you you have a hard time being kind to your siblings sometimes? (laughs) I think this proves the kindness of Jesus in a great way. He's like, ah, James, I'm going to. Anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. All right. And then it says, then he appeared to the apostles. This is probably at the ascension in Mark 16, Luke 24, Acts 1. And then Paul says in verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And Paul goes into his memory of the road to, to, to Damascus and his memory that he was a persecutor of the church that, you know, it says in Acts chapter 7 that they laid their cloaks down at the feet of one of the leaders called Saul. And that was either for him just to guard the cloaks or, and this is happening when they were stoning Stephen, okay? So they're stoning Stephen, his face was shining like the sun. He had, he had preached to uh, the leaders of Jerusalem, and then he turned his preaching from a history lesson to, you of uncircumcised heart, you always deny the Holy Spirit, and he just gets in their face, and they stone him. And in the stoning, they're laying down their cloaks at the feet of this man called Saul. And that could just be for him to guard him, or he could have been actually giving his approval for the Sanhedrin that, hey, I approve that this is, a, this is a stoning that is in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul had this memory, probably even hearing Stephen's voice at the stoning. I mean, can you imagine hearing Stephen cry out, Father, forgive them, and having that in your memory? So Paul, he says, he appeared to me on the road to Damascus, and I was undeserving. He goes into it in verse 9. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. I mean, Paul had this revelation. He walked in this 
of the mercy of God. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's describing that God uh, has shown mercy on him and has saved him through Jesus. And he says, so that God would display his perfect patience through my life, through my salvation. Meaning, God was patient with Paul even when he was persecuting the church. Guys, I think God is being patient with a certain part of the world that is persecuting the church. I think a great revival, honestly, is going to come to the Muslim world. And I think God is being patient right now. And he is sending missionaries and he is preaching the gospel in these remote places. I think a great revival is coming for those that are persecuting the church of God. I think a great revival is coming and is continuing in China for those who are persecuting the church. Praise the Lord for the patience of God. Amen? He wants to see all come to repentance. And then Paul says in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, saying the apostles, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now, this is a, an, an important verse and a huge point. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Did you know the grace of God can actually be toward you in vain if you don't respond to the grace of God with your life? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, and then we're going to go into chapter 6, verse 1. Mike and I were saying this is probably one of the worst chapter breaks in the Bible because it's the same flow of thought, even past verse 1 and into chapter 6. But, but we read it here. It says, therefore, we've, we've read it before, uh, earlier. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now here, verse 1 of chapter 6. Working together with him then, we appeal to you. Now he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to people in the church of Corinth. He says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then he goes into, behold, now is the time of salvation. And he goes into his own ministry of preaching the gospel in chapter 6 and how he, he was working and he was striving and he was enduring. And he gives context in, at the, end of, or in the middle of chapter 6 of what it means to not take the grace of God in vain. In the same place, Paul gives, gives context in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them. <laughs> but then he backtracks and he goes, but guys, it was not I, but it was that grace that was working in me. And I think of it like this. We partner, the grace of God, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, it makes that clear. You cannot work yourself into the kingdom of God, right? You are saved by the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ when you put your faith and your hope in him. 
But that's not where the journey ends. The journey ends by being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that, Ephesians 2 goes on, so that you could do the good works that he has called you to do through and by his Son. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, it was the grace of God working within me to do those good works that Jesus had called me to do, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Amen? So it's grace that gets us in the kingdom, but then it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the grace within us that causes us to serve the Lord wholeheartedly with our lives. Some of us need a little bit of stirring of the grace of God on the inside, right? I need it every day. That stirring, that empowering of the Holy Spirit so I would put my hand to the plow again and not look back. Amen? Amen. Verse 12. Now Paul gets into that beautiful theme of the resurrection. So he's said Christ has been raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. Christ has been witnessed by all these people. And then he's going to continue to talk about the resurrection. Now some people kind of take 1 Corinthians 15 and says the gospel that Paul preached kind of ends in verse 10 and that Paul just kind of went on a tangent about the resurrection. I believe all of 1 Corinthians 15 probably is the gospel that Paul preached or an aspect of it that he really focused on with the Corinthian believers and he's reminding them of it. He's saying, guys, it's not only he died, buried, raised from again, ascended into heaven, but there is a resurrection power coming that I want you to put your hope in. Verse 12, Paul says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised from the dead. So there must have been a false teaching going on or starting to bubble up. And some were saying, Christ is proclaimed raised from the dead, but for us, there's no resurrection from the dead. And Paul's calling that a lie. And the way he does it is, is interesting to me. He says, not only if Christ isn't raised from the dead, or, or if, if Christ is proclaimed raised from the dead, how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead for yourselves? Then he says, and if there's no resurrection from the dead for yourselves, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Meaning that Paul is kind of like linking Christ's resurrection and our resurrection as kind of one thing. He's intertwining them. By that reverse argument, he says that, well, if you're not going to be raised from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. It's almost as he's talking about the resurrection as one event, but with two episodes in a timeline. But it's one reality in the Spirit. Now, we get that from, uh, well, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's go to verse 14. You guys following along in your Bibles or, or with your phones? Verse 14, here we go. And if Christ has been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Or if Christ has not been raised from the dead, no, if he has been raised from the dead, our preaching is not in vain. If he has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain is in vain. Verse 15, we are even found to be mis misrepresenting God 
because he testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. It says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. <laughs> Let's put up this next slide. So here, just in these five verses, here's the consequences if there is no resurrection, okay? These are the seven things that we just read. It says, our preaching would be in vain. All of our ministry, all of our speaking about who God is and who Jesus is, it would be in vain if the resurrection did not happen. Our faith would be in vain. We'd be sitting in this room putting our hope in the air, in nothing. Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. We won't be raised from the dead. We are still in our sins. Those who have died have completely perished. There's no hope for them. They're just gone. And we are of all people most to be pitied. <laughs> That's a bad list, right? That's not good. I, uh, you can take that off the screen, April. Thank you so much. You're doing such a good job back there. Appreciate it. Put it back? Okay, wow. All right. Hey, I've never been shouted down for taking down a slide. I appreciate that. Oh, that's an anointed slide. I'm going to keep that up. I'm going to use that in another, uh, in another uh, sermon there. <laughs> I know, you're writing it all down. That's great. That's great. Take a picture, write it down, keep it up. I think it's, leave it up just for a second, April, since I got rebuked for saying, take it down. But I think it's interesting, in verse 19, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are most to be pitied. Guys, we have a hope that is going to continue, that is going to continue, that is going to continue, that is going to continue. His kingdom, it says in Isaiah chapter 9, will never end, and you're going to be a part of ruling and reigning with Christ forever for a thousand years. And then after that, through the new heavens and the new earth, did you know you were actually going to get to see the second episode of creation? What you weren't around to see in the beginning when Jesus was speaking the word into being through perceiving what was in his Father's heart and through the Holy Spirit hovering and responding to the word of God, did you know you're going to be a witness to the new heavens and the new earth being created? That's amazing. There are so many nuggets, so much truth in the Word of God talking about our hope in the age to come. And I love meditating on it. I love also saying, Lord, if you're going to do that then, Lord, release your power now. Pull that veil off the eyes of people and let them see your glory now. Shine your light now. Because that's what the scriptures teach. We're ambassadors now, but we're also on a pilgrimage. and We're putting our hope in the age to come. Amen? That's where we're sowing our money. That's in prayer. I'm sowing my time. And not only in this life to be rewarded in prayer, but also as a statement of love before him going, you were a, you were a man of faith who lived his life in prayer, and I saw you every time you bowed your knee to me. That's the hope we're going to get. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day standing before him and having those dialogues of him remembering 
our confidence in him. Or having a little pain in our heart, I think 1 Corinthians 3 goes into very clearly, and we went into that back when we, uh, we, we talked about this back when we were in 1 Corinthians 3. But it's very clear that in those places that we wish we would have given ourselves a little bit more, that we could actually experience regret. And we don't want to be those believers that experience regret before his throne. We could be in the kingdom, but going, oh, I wish I would have given myself a little bit more to that grace that Paul was talking about that pushed him to work hard for the Lord. Amen? All right. (laughs) So, verse 20. Oh, here we go. We'll kind of end with these verses. It says, but the fact is, the evidence proves, the eyewitnesses have testified, the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this language comes in of Jesus being the first fruits, and the idea is he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Those who have died, they have fallen asleep. Christ is the first one to come to life. He's the first one to be as a man in heaven. He has a resurrected body, but it's the body that you and I will have when we are raised from the dead. And he's seated at God's right hand. But it's clear in the future at the resurrection that we're going to get to share his authority in the heavenly places and on earth. But he's the first one. This first fruits language came from uh, Paul's understanding of the first fruits offerings in the uh, harvest festival, which was Pentecost, or I think the Hebrew is Shavuot. So let me just go into this real quick. Right after the Passover, the first day after the Sabbath was the beginning of the harvest season, okay? So 50 days from the day after Passover marked the harvest season, and 50 days after that, was the celebration of Pentecost. And we all know Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came. And you you guys know it. I don't need to go into it. But the first day of the harvest season, the barley crop was harvested, okay? And it was brought to the temple, and it was waved before the Lord. And it was called the wave offering. Now, there were two wave offerings in the harvest festival. There was a wave offering at the beginning of the harvest festival, and that was the barley. It was the first crop to mature, and it would be waved before the Lord. And the Lord would accept the offering, and it would, and in the accepting of the barley being waved, he would call the rest of the harvest clean. Okay? So they would wave the offering to the Lord. Lord, we bring you our first uh Uh, our first reaping of the harvest season. And because of that act of obedience, he would call the rest of the harvest clean. So, Jesus, it says, as being the first fruits, was the first to mature from in the resurrection. He was weighed before the Lord. The beautiful thing is, because of him, the rest of the harvest is called clean. Because of him, the rest of those who are going to come to the Lord are clean because he was weighed before the Lord and stands before the Lord in his presence on our behalf. 
The other cool thing about this I love is that it was, all, it was one harvest season, okay? So it was 50 days of harvest. Jesus brought us into, guys, the harvest season, and the harvest season is still going on. And we are part of that harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest, but he is telling us to pray for laborers that would go into his harvest field and partner with him in reaping the harvest. But guys, anyone who puts his faith in him, they're clean, and they get to come into his barn. Now, what I love about this is Matthew 13 talks about the harvest at the end of the age. And it says that those that are going to come into like God's barn, so to speak, are the wheat. So the very first crop in Israel that would mature would be the barley harvest, and that represented the Lord as the wave offering. Guess what the last crop that would mature in Israel would be? It was the wheat. It was the wheat. He's going to bring you and I into his barn, and at the end of the age, guys, there's going to be a great harvest of souls that are going to come in to his kingdom, and we get a part of that now. Amen? <laughs> JR just says, if we're gluten-free, will we still get to go? I feel like that was a joke that, that was in the spirit for me to pull down, but you caught it. I just... Anyway. Okay, we're just going to go a little bit longer. I know uh, we're right at 8.15 and out of time. Verse 21, it says... For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Now this is beautiful because that word order right there in verse 23, it was a military phrase. I, for, I, for, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Greek... It was used, and it was a military term that denoted the advancement of squads or the advancement of companies, okay? So Paul says, there's the resurrection. By one man, death came into the world, Adam. By another man, the resurrection comes, Jesus. But the, resurre the, res the resurrection is going to come in a military-type order or fashion. Companies being released, squads being released. It says this, Christ is the first fruits, or Christ is the first wave of advancement. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, that's you and me who have put our faith in him, and anyone who has died in, that, in this 2,000 years, and we're still counting time frame between the crucifixion and resurrection and us now. And then he says, and then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So again, verse, 23, the, the, verse 23 denotes this order of advancement. And I just love to think of it like that, like a military conquest. Like the first stake was put in the ground. The first wave was being sent against the enemy, and it was Jesus in the resurrection. And then at his coming, the second wave, and it's all the saints who have believed in his name. And then after he rules and reigns for a thousand years, 
After that, the new heavens and the new earth. And then comes the end when all authority and all rule are put under his feet. We don't have time to get into this tonight, but this is where we're going to pick up next week. Okay? Good. So come back next week, invite your friends, and we're going to get to talk about the new heavens, the new earth, the millennial reign of Christ. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. And what we get to expect with our individual resurrected body as we're a part of the family of God that's going to be raised from the dead. So, in closing, I just want to pray for us in two ways. One, as I was preaching and talking about verses 1 and 2, it says, this is the gospel by which we preached and you received, in which we stand and by which we are being saved if we hold fast to the word that was preached. I want to pray for two things. One, this call that is on our body to preach the gospel in this season, to actually speak of Jesus and invite people to know Jesus. I actually want to pray for anyone in the room who is asking for a greater grace to preach the gospel. Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached. If Paul wouldn't have opened his mouth in Corinth concerning Jesus Christ, there would not have been a church, and there would not have been these letters, and there would not have been this revelation that we're reading about. It all had to start by him saying, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus has given you a hope and a future. Jesus is the living hope. We actually have to speak of Jesus and invite people into that revelation. So Luna, if you're still around, would you mind just coming and playing the piano a little bit? We're just going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. If that's you, if you're just like, I would like a little more boldness in preaching the gospel in this season, I'd like you to stand to your feet, if you don't mind. And we're going to pray for you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm. Amen. So if you aren't standing, you are my ministry team, and we're going to pray for those that are standing. Or, since there's a lot of us standing, why don't those that are standing, and we don't have people sitting around us, we're just going to get in groups of two and three and four, and we're going to pray for one another, okay? We're actually going to stir up by the laying on of hands the gift of God that is inside of us to preach the gospel. Amen? So we're just going to take a few moments and do this, and then I want to pray for one other group before we leave. If you need to go, if you need to be dismissed, you're more than welcome to go. We'll just kind of have a soft dismissal right now. But we're going to pray for this, and then we're going to pray for one other group that I was just kind of sensing as I was preaching that we need to spend some time praying for. So I'll just pray and then release you guys to your own prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We ask you for boldness in this season to speak well of Jesus. We all have a testimony. We all have an experience of you. We all have a journey through the word. We all have moments and encounters and testimony. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness, even with our own history, and that we would open our mouth and speak of the glory of Jesus to our friends, to our neighbors, to our children, 
to those in the store. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. And you guys just continue to pray for that boldness. Pray for one another. thing I'd like to pray for just before we go. You guys can keep praying if you're not finished, but as I was preaching on uh, verse 10, and it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that works in me verse that I love to think about in accordance with this is when Paul says in Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure if you just feel any kind of apathy setting in or any just like you need that quickening in your spirit to lay hold of kind of working out your salvation once again. Maybe you, your prayer life has been lacking. Maybe you haven't been in the Word. Maybe there's no desire or zeal in your heart to really obey Jesus in certain ways in your life in this season. I'm just going to pray this prayer over all of us. But at the end, if you just, I guess really what I'm asking is if you want to give your life to the Lord in a fresh and, and wholehearted way, I'm going to pray this over all of us, but if that's any of us in this room, I'm just going to be down here for prayer. Maybe Phyllis and Gary, you could join me for a few minutes. If you got to get on the road, that's fine. But maybe you guys could join me for a few minutes. And if you're just like, I want zeal and fresh fire to pursue Jesus with my whole heart, then I want to invite you to respond tonight. And we'll just spend some time praying over you. 
So I'm going to pray this over all of us as we exit or as we are dismissed. And then if that's you, come down to the front. We'll spend some time in prayer. Lord, we ask that we would be those who are so grateful and thankful for the salvation you've given us. And that in that gratefulness and thankfulness, Lord, we would press in to knowing you. We would press in to loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And in this pressing in, Lord, we ask that you would work within us, both to will and to do for your good pleasure in the earth. We want to be those who give our whole heart and all of our strength in following you. So we ask you tonight for fresh zeal and for fresh fire. We ask you for that grace to love you with a whole heart and with all of our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So if that's you and you would like some prayer for that, maybe come down and we'll pray for you. If not, we'll see you guys next week. It's our last Wednesday night and then no Wednesday night services in July. Love you guys. I mean, next week's our last Wednesday night.